This is Tap and Geek Out, and goddamn, does it feel good to be able to say that after how many fucking months now have we been off the air, Eric? A long time. At least six, right? So if there was one thing that was going to drag us back together, it was uh, an event like Friday the 13th. Not only a good night to get uh, our show back on track, but to talk about one of your favorite topics and resurrect a segment that we haven't had a chance to visit in quite some time. It's special night, Friday the 13th. Eric and I back in the fucking studio with beers in hand, uh, which is particularly special for Eric since it's been how long since you've had a drink? Two months. Jesus, man. Is that like an adult record for you? I've taken breaks from alcohol before, but I don't think as extensively as I just did. Well, I appreciate it. Cheers, brother. Cheers. And uh, I have to ask, since I couldn't see the label there, Doug, what are you drinking? <laughs> this is called The Hemperer. And <laughs> we actually picked this out um, because it was going to be a, a fun beer to do on our first night back on the mic in quite some time. As you can tell by me tripping over my fucking tongue, it's a new Belgian beer and it's a hop and hemp infused IPA, uh, 7% ABV and who fucking knows on the IBU? I don't know. I'll put it in the show notes. Um, as soon as I opened it, I, I could tell that they were not fucking around. I'm not going to use the term bong water, but it definitely has a strong hemp odor to it. Now, is, is this the first sip you've taken that I'm watching right now? It is. Whoa. <laughs> that That's all. I People uh, at home can't see that, but Doug just did make a face. Yeah, that's uh, that's serious. Seriously good? Are you digging it? I don't know. I mean, you can really taste the. It tastes like an edible, like one of those uh, tinctures or the infused drinks. You're not selling me at all with that description. Yuck. Yeah, I don't know that pot and beer really belong together, but. I completely agree with you. I've had pot beer before and I did not enjoy it. So it's not actually pot. It's just hemp. But I mean, the flavors there, it's just not the THC. Yeah, I don't I don't know about this. I'm not going to rate it right now. I need to see if my taste buds are going to get used to it. But your taste buds are delighting in the fact that you're treating them with a, a beverage that they haven't had for some time. Eric, what the fuck are you drinking tonight? If I was going to come back to beer for a little bit to do the show, I wanted to go back to one of my favorite uh, breweries and also pick a beer that we haven't done on the show by them. Luckily... I haven't been to the liquor store in two months, and there's a bunch of new shit that I've never seen. <laughs> one of the beers I picked up is by one of our favorite, favorite breweries on the cast here, and that's Four Noses out of Colorado. I grabbed their Orange Velvet Blood Orange Milkshake India Pale Ale, and it is absolutely delicious. I'm ready to rate mine. I'm going to go ahead and go four out of five right out of the gate. You know I normally don't like IPAs. This is very tasty. Oh, it's an IPA. It is. I, like I just said, India Pale Ale, didn't I? Yeah, but you said like 20 words. India Pale <laughs> Ale, Orange Blood Milkshake, something, noses. Orange Velvet, Blood Orange Milkshake, India Pale Ale. Orange Velvet. I like the name. It's got a picture like Rick Moranis on it. <laughs> it's really tasty. I'm not going to lie to the audience here. I've already had two of these. This is my third one. Four out of five, definitely. I would certainly buy this again. It does have one of my problems with beers is that it's a four pack. I don't like paying 12 bucks for four beers, but this is a 7.1 ABV, 50 IBU. It's very tasty. 
I wouldn't drink it weekly. Not that I'm going to go back to drinking weekly, but I wouldn't drink this weekly. But God, this is almost comparable to the beer we had at Deuces Wild. Their beer is really good. This is almost as good as that. And you're already two beers in because it took us for fucking ever to get ready to record tonight. Are you superstitious? Today's a lucky day for me. Normally, today was a shitty day for me. I'm not going to go into why, but I, I felt it today. I have I normally have pretty good days out in out of the world. Today was not a good day. So Friday the 13th for me this year was not not a good. Well, up until now, I'm having some beers with uh with you. So how can I complain about the end of the day? But yeah, God, I, I'm not superstitious, uh, but today was kind of shitty. I'm sorry it took us so long to get ready. I think we got bit by the, the Friday the 13th bug in our audio testing. <clears throat> no, we didn't. Because Friday the 13th is, isn't fucking real. There's nothing unlucky <laughs> about this day. It's it's just another artifact of uh, of uh, like history and superstition. Do you know anything about the origin of the Friday the 13th myth? No, I actually don't. God, I wish I would have prepped for that question. That would have been a good one to tell me about ahead of time. <laughs> I know a lot about the Friday the 13th movies, Doug, but I don't know a lot about the uh, the myth or where it comes from and why, why 13 is unlucky. I've heard two things, uh, one of which is that there was 13 attendees at the Last Supper. Okay. Which, um, I mean, should automatically tell you uh, that the origins are, are bullshit right there since that never actually happened, right? I mean, that <laughs> that's just a biblical parable. Well, plus there was 14 people at the Last Supper because somebody had to sit across from them and paint that fucking picture. So <laughs> I'm calling shenanigans on that right now. <laughs> you know, I never thought about it like that. That sounds like one of those Dan Brown conspiracies. Someone someone was there. So the other thing I heard is that I think it was the 1300s, maybe like during the Crusades. Is that when the Crusades happened? That there was some king who arrested a bunch of Knights Templar and it was on a Friday the 13th. And supposedly that was uh, supposed to curse all of humanity or, or something like that. So either way, this goes back like at least 700 years. And as you know, I think every seven, eight years, it depends on the calendar. My birthday it's on a Friday the 13th, so it's a good day for me. And Friday the 13th is arguably my favorite horror franchise. I don't think we can really call this a wrinkly old sack because we really did revisit a movie that I've watched recently. I've seen it within the past five years. But Friday the 13th Part 6, I think if you were to watch any of the 12 films that exist, that would be the one I would tell you to watch. If you want to know why I appreciate the character of Jason, what I like about the films, it does stuff the other films doesn't do. I dig the flick. And I'm really curious to see what you thought, Doug, because as anyone who listens to the cast knows, Doug is a very, I don't know, nose in the air movie fan. He doesn't really watch a lot of crap. And I, I will say a lot of the stuff I watch, the B movies, some of the horror I watch, I appreciate the shit. And that's a topic for a whole nother podcast. Doug is more of a... Um, a seasoned movie lover, if you will. I, I'm trying to give you a compliment. I, I don't think you have bad taste at all. I'm not trying to say that. You're just not the type of guy like you would have watched Friday the 13th with me back when we were in fifth grade. I don't see you really going to see one with me now if they came out with one. That's fair. I don't know that I would pay to see a Friday the 13th movie in the theater at you know 2018 ticket prices 
without the expectation that this movie was going to blow my fucking socks off. And I don't think that's true of many horror movies in general, let alone like uh, an, an intentionally low budget slasher franchise like Friday the 13th. But when you watch part six, you can tell from the beginning of the movie that you're in for a different ride than the the five films that came before it. Let's start there. In fact, I have one question for you. When you refer to this movie, and I've heard you do it a couple times now, you haven't mentioned the Jason Lives subtitle. Is that not part of the title in your head? Oh, no, it's completely part of the title. I love the title. I just call it six because, I mean, there's 12 movies. I think the only one I call by its name is Freddy versus Jason or New Friday is what I call 12. And would you put the Jason Lives before or after the Friday the 13th part six? I like it before. See, a lot of people do, and that, but it's not how it's written. And, and I think it rolls off the tongue a little better, too. You know, not that that means anything, but Jason Lives. Friday the 13th, part six. It's also the first trailer that they didn't show any of the movie in. The trailer is literally like a, a, a long pan up to a grave and you see lightning strike and you see Jason's name and then you see a date and that's it. The rest of the Friday the 13th trailers and anyone who gets bored and drunk, you should go watch them on YouTube. Just watch all of them in a row. It's, it's 20 minutes. It's phenomenal. It's the only trailer that doesn't show any of the film and doesn't fit there, you know, showing some of the kills or teasing some of that. And that's just the beginning of how it's a completely different movie, I think. Have you seen all of them, Doug? I assume you have at one point. You know, I don't think that I would venture to say that I've seen every single one of them, especially the later ones. I can almost guarantee you I've never seen all of uh, Takes Manhattan and maybe not more than 10 minutes. I have seen the Space Jason. What is that, 10? Jason X. I miss Jason Goes to Hell. I think the movie I've actually seen more than all of the other ones, possibly even combined, is Freddy versus Jason. Six is the completion of a three movie arc with Tommy Jarvis, correct? It's the Tommy Jarvis trilogy. It's what it's referred to in the fan community. Okay. But the end of five has nothing to do with how six starts. It'd be like if uh, Empire Strikes Back opened and Darth Vader didn't exist anymore. <laughs> Four ends with Corey Feldman, Tommy Jarvis, killing Jason, putting the machete into the side of his head. Jason slides down the machete. It's a great kill. In fact, if you're going to watch another Friday the 13th movie, watch four. It's it's awesome. Four is pretty great. I like four a lot. Maybe we'll do a, a sack down the road with four because I think four might be my second favorite. But so that happens. And then five is either completely loved or completely hated by the fan community because five is fake Jason. Essentially, at the beginning of five, there's a special needs kid that has a candy bar and he's pissing off this guy and the dude kills him. And then the paramedic sees his son. You find this all out later, but I'm not spoiling shit. It's the worst reveal in the history of cinema. And it's fake Jason. It's a Jason with blue marks on his mask. The mask comes off at the end of the movie and that flick five completely tanked the franchise, not tanked it. Obviously they came up with a movie the next year, but a lot of fans were pissed off about five, but the last shot of five is Tommy putting on the mask and walking up behind uh, survivor girl to kill her. That's all thrown away at the beginning of six. At the beginning of six, we have Tommy and Horshack <laughs> escaping from the mental institution. And they do a classic Gothic horror scene. They go to the graveyard. Tommy wants to cremate Jason. He unwisely 
puts a metal stake during a lightning storm into his chest. Lightning strikes Jason. Jason rises from the dead. Does it make the most sense on paper, Doug? No. But as a kid, when I was living across the street from you, I fucking loved it. So you start off feeling pretty sorry for Tommy and for good reasons, especially if you've seen the the previous two movies. But then he makes a, a really terrible series of decisions that ultimately leads to fucking resurrecting the person that he was trying to bury forever. So let's start there. Is this uh, intentional cinematic irony? I think so. Because I honestly, yesterday when I watched the flick, I did not feel sorry for Tommy one bit when he was laying on the uh, the sand at the end of the movie. I was like, dude, so many people died because you're an idiot. Because Jason would have stayed dead, correct? And that's about the conclusion that you can draw, right? Is if he hadn't acted a damn fool, very selfishly trying to to cremate Jason's body, then he would have stayed dead. And therefore, Tommy is directly responsible for everyone that has died since the sixth movie. And there's a lot of deaths in this movie. In fact, the death on the picnic blanket scene out in the woods was added after the movie had already been shot because the studio wanted more kills. But they censor the fuck out of them. If you go back and watch the special features on any of the Friday the 13th movies, the violence is heavily edited. And in fact, when you watched it yesterday, Doug, did you kind of feel like this has got to be the edited version? This is the TBS version. This is the version they showed in theaters, but I know I have an original theatrical copy. So, you know, it has been a while since I've seen it. So I don't know if I'm desensitized to to gore and violence these days. No, you know, at no point did I think that it felt really over the top with the violence. In fact, it actually cut away from some of the like intense action at times. And I mean, you see limbs strewn here and there and like heads twisted all the way around, but nothing that that like really kind of hits you in the gut with like, oh God, that just happened. Some of the kills are very unique. Uh, I think he left a lot to the imagination. I mean, you've got the girl's face in the side of the RV is one of my favorites in the movie. <laughs> When her head gets uh, shoved into the sheet metal and leaves a, an imprint of her face. Because when you're driving away, you know Jason's in that RV. Th- that's one of my favorite scenes in the movie, too. That whole sequence with uh, him killing her, then him killing Court. The line, uh, what are you doing back there? Taking a dim? <laughs> and fucking, and then the, uh, the RV tipped over and Jason popping out of the top. Like the invincible Frankenstein, Frank and Jason, that he is in this movie. When you watch the other films, Jason isn't the same as this. This is the first movie with quote unquote zombie Jason in it. Jason that can't be killed. I mean, you watch Sheriff Mustache pump like nine rounds into him and Jason still gets up. In fact, at one point, Jason's even playing possum just so he can grab him. That's a, a great point. The The Frankenstein parallel is uh, there from the very beginning. I, I mean, how many points in the movie could you point to and say, yeah, Frankenstein reference? There's tons of them. There's references all over the movie. In fact, there's one yesterday that I think hasn't even been mentioned, and I'm going to bring that up a little bit later. But no, I mean, the gas station is called Karlov's. There's a reference to Cunningham Road. Sean Cunningham wrote the original Friday the 13th. There's references all over the movie. I think it's the only Friday the 13th movie where there's a break of the fourth wall. It's one of the only Friday the 13th movies, and I think the only one with no nudity. And it's the only Friday the 13th movie where there's actually kids at the summer camp. Which turns out to be a a giant red herring. Um, 
or a plot device used to to try and I guess heighten the suspense. That's actually a, con- a conversation that Connor and I had. Is like, why the fuck are the kids there if they're not getting killed? But it does, I guess, put you on the edge of your seat a little bit more. Like, when's Jason gonna take one of these little fuckers out? That's exactly what the director says in the documentary and Crystal Lake Memories. That exactly. He said, I wanted kids at the camp, not because I was going to kill the kids, but I wanted the audience to wonder if I was going to kill the kids. And I think it's a brilliant move. And he didn't, which just, I think, in in effect, leaves the movie feeling a little bit more tame. Like, I kind of wanted a a kid to die. I I know I'm not supposed to say that out loud, but I think I would have been a little more satisfied with like the overall like brutality factor and just being disturbed by a horror movie like i think one ought to be in, you know in, in certain cases and uh not nightmare nancy i i dug on her but uh certainly one of those other little fuckers uh, no one would have missed yeah but i think you know from the beginning of that movie from the james bond walk on by jason that you're not getting a horror movie doug you're getting almost comedy slasher if you will the film has some genuine laughs that are completely intentional not unintentional b-movie laughs intentional jokes that they put in the flick and i love it for that it led me down the path to evil dead 2 that's my genre i mean ever i mean people like saw and shit like that that's not my my style of horror i like bubblegum horror and i think this this fits that perfectly besides the no no breasts. So it's almost in, in effect a, a parody of a horror movie then. They do. How many winks to the audience are there in the flick? Happy Friday the 13th or the fourth wall break when the guy's like, who would like that for entertainment? <laughs> Looks right at the camera and says that. I like shit like that, man. And I guess there's a place for a slasher, but th- they realized in part six what Re- Wes Craven realized in Scream. The genre is kind of done. I think they discovered that in Friday the 13th part six. There's a lot of winks and nods in in the movie. I love it. I love it as a film uh, completely. God, I've had too many beers to podcast. (laughs) I haven't had a look at my notes, though, but that just means I've been spouting a bunch of bullshit. So even if if it's not a, a traditionally scary or disturbing horror movie, it's still enjoyable for a lot of reasons. And uh, adult Doug having again, not seen this movie in in quite some time um, picked up on a lot of quality filmmaking in this movie. And you mentioned that this, this director um, didn't, I I don't know that he had a lot of uh, movies under his belt coming into this project. I don't know what he's done since then, but dude put together a decent movie that in 2018, I sat down and watched in high definition and was mildly impressed at, several points in the movie with how he had assembled this. And when you watch the doc, he was completely hamstrung too. the producer of the movie was cutting corners at every, uh, every angle. In fact, they hated the producer of the flick so much. One of the things in the producer's contract, and I can't remember the guy's name anyway, producer asshole was he gets to keep certain things from the set that they purchase and one was like a $5,000 at the time swamp cooler. And when they filmed the RV scene, they put the swamp cooler on top of it when they flipped it so that it was destroyed and the entire crew was reveling in the fact that he was not going to get his $5,000 swamp cooler. So the director did everything that he did 
completely tied down by a budget, but he even admits that it made him more creative that he had to come up with. Uh, he'd say he'd show up to days on the set. Like I thought I had a crane shot in the morning and another shot in the afternoon. And like, Nope, we couldn't get any of that shit for you. So he really had to come up with some of the shots on the fly. And not only the shots that he does, I think they're great. The editing is phenomenal. Some of the cuts between the, uh, what am I a fart head to the kids cheering? And like, there's some good edits in the, in the flick. Yeah. And it was actually <clears throat> Connor that picked up on the one that, uh, I think I appreciated the most, which is when Jason hits the cop, uh, square between the eyes with the knife. And then it cuts directly to the dartboard that's hanging in, in the, the kid's, uh, uh, cabin. There's a lot of stuff like that in the movie. You could tell that the director, and he even says he wanted to make a Frankenstein flick. And I think that's what he did. And he turned Jason into what I think is the best version of the character. I like all the other movies, some more than others. But this, to me, is the perfect Friday the 13th flick. Did you have any questions or or qualms with the fact that uh, all of Jason seemed to be deteriorated except for his eyeballs? (laughs) No, I mean, he's he's been under that. Uh, well, shit. No, he's been under the I always forget where he dies. He's been in the grave for a while. I like the uh, I like that, Jason. Actually, believe it or not, another piece of trivia for you. Jason in the beginning of the movie during the paintball scenes is a different actor than Jason. The rest of the movie. <laughs> Paramount fired the original actor because they didn't think he was big and menacing enough. In the paintball scene. Oh, when he's uh, chasing around like the corporate retreat people. Yeah, the gay couple, which in 1986, that was pretty revolutionary. They didn't come out and say they were gay, but those two Jewish dudes were gay. (laughs) Is that uh, something that gets discussed in the documentary? No, that's completely Eric theory here. You're only going to get it on tap and geek out. But, you know, you didn't feel that they that they were a couple. I, uh, you know, I hadn't thought about it until just now, but the, the way that they were communicating is absolutely, uh, uh, I guess echoes of like a, a married couple that's been together for a couple of decades. Right. And then you've got a misogynistic dude. I can't believe a woman would chopping the trees down. Like they're in a temper tantrum and he gets one of the best kills in the movie with the smiley face on the side of the tree. Ah, uh, it's so good. Yeah. I, uh, and that's another moment that Connor and I shared. Like, as soon as those words are coming out of his mouth, it's like, well, that guy's dead. I mean, which, you know, in a Friday the 13th movie, of course he is, but uh, he certainly moved himself to the front of the queue. I think that part of the story may be my only qualm with the movie is that all of that corporate retreat shit just felt um, unnecessary. I mean, it had no continuity with the rest of the story and, when you made the point earlier about how they wanted to up the, the kill count, that absolutely makes sense. Cause it gave them another, what half dozen uh, kills, but uh, it just, it, it, it really, it kind of threw the whole, um, that whole 10, 15 minute sequence of the movie off for me. Yeah. It had nothing to do with the rest of the story. In fact, the character development is one thing I looked at yesterday. There's zero. Uh, court has ripped up pants and he's a bad lay. I mean, that's really it. You learn a little bit about Megan, I guess. And of course, Tommy Jarvis comes in with, with some backstory, but there's zero character development. Every, everybody there except for survivor girl and Tommy are meant to be killed. Megan, I guess her name's Megan mustache since she's uh, a <laughs> deputy mustaches daughter. 
I like Megan, even though in the first scene, Megan's in God, it's all fuck me eyes. Watch that scene again. Dude, her look does not change from like, can just bone me right now. Great acting, I guess, but. (laughs) (laughs) So are we just supposed to assume that that's how all cops daughters turn out? Or did, did we actually get a little character development with her? I mean, she is a reckless fucking snatch. She is. And uh, I like Megan a lot. Not my favorite survival girl, but uh, I like Megan a lot. I think she's I think she's cool. But here's a really good piece of trivia. Hang on. I dug up something fucking amazing. While you're doing that, uh, I don't know. I, I don't know it. how many of these movies have a like a before they were famous actor. But uh, the only one I recognize in this one was Tony Goldwyn. Ghost, right? Right. Yeah, in, in the credit card scene. Yeah, right. Uh, he's douchebag Darren. Right. Uh, no, before we go into the credit card scene, which I do want to talk about, Jennifer Cook, who played Megan, her husband is Mo Siegel, who invented Celestial Seasons tea. <laughs> That's uh, here in Colorado. Like, they're based out of Boulder, aren't they? Maybe we can get her on the cast. <laughs> I'd love to fucking talk to her. I, I think she's great. I like I like Megan a lot as a character. I like Megan more than I like Tommy in the movie. Yeah, Tommy was hard to like for a lot of reasons, even though um, he gives you a lot of reasons to dislike him up front. Um, he goes on to, to try and do the right thing, but just uh, consistently fucking, uh, I guess, trips up himself. Um, it, I, I did enjoy the scenes with Megan. I, I thought uh, those were those were actually really well done. They're kind of like budding romance. And when he's got his head in her lap uh, during one of the getaway scenes, and then the fact that he uh, essentially assaults her without knowing, you know, if she's consenting or not when he's in the jail cell and just grabs her and, and starts kissing her. And it looks pretty rapey <laughs> for, for a bit there, but uh, no, that, I mean, that, that part of it was fun. Um, although, it got a little cringy too at, at moments when you're like, is this, is this really how, how they want this story to play out? It's a movie of its time. You can tell that the movie is from 1986. Oh God. 1986, 1986, the year that they used to make laser sights out of cans of Pringles. (laughs) Oh, and then in the end credits, and I didn't realize this ahead of time, but we get uh, uh, the the song that oh god that that plays at the end. It's uh, Alice Cooper. Alice Cooper. Now, did he write that song for this movie? I mean, I had to have. He actually was contracted to write three songs for the movie that are on the soundtrack. Alice Cooper was all over this flick. That's uh, see, that's the kind of juicy shit that that I always hope to learn when we sit down to to do one of these. Um, I mean, what else can you tell us about? Friday the 13th part six and, and what did it mean for the franchise? Like did this movie succeed and did it set up a certain tone or anything for the franchise going forward? No, actually this movie bombed. This is still to this date, the lowest grossing Friday the 13th movie. Is it? I thought, uh, God, I would have, I would have bet my life on uh, Jason takes Manhattan being the lowest grossing. According to what I read last night, this is still the lowest grossing in the franchise. Is that uh, adjusted for inflation? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. And believe it or not, Freddy versus Jason is the highest grossing flick in both franchises. 
Really? Ahead of all of the other all uh, nightmare, nightmare all Jason's Freddy versus Jason is the is the most for both. I mean, in one regard, that makes total sense because you've got both fan bases that are paying to see that movie, right? I love that flick. It it's really good. Well, I mean, for for what it is, it, it's really good. I I really enjoyed it. Um, it. It's funny you've said it a couple of times. There are twelve Friday the Thirteenth movies. We got a reboot back in. Oh God, more than. I mean, seven years ago plus, I lived in Georgia. I went to I went with Jim to see it on Friday the Thirteenth. Yeah, I think it was twenty ten, maybe longer than that, or twenty eleven. So next up in the series is the Thirteenth Friday the Thirteenth movie. How are they not taking advantage of that? How or, or are they? Is there something going on behind this? No, uh, Friday the Thirteenth was filming. It didn't have a title, but it was the Thirteenth flick. It was filming in Georgia. It got canceled. After um, the Ring reboot tanked at the box office. So there's no Friday the 13th releasing. And one of the original writers, not uh, Cunningham, is suing the franchise. So they've had to cancel development on the game, which was going along swimmingly. They were releasing content every other week. Now they've been, they can't release any more content. So I hate to say it, but on Friday the 13th in 2018, the franchise is kind of dead. And this is because of uh, litigation that's preventing any new development of anything. Any new development. The movie was canned before the litigation. The movie was canned because they did not think it was going to make money. It started shooting and then they canceled it. Who was it that gave the uh, or licensed the property to the, the developers that put the game together? I think New Line still owns it, but don't quote me on that. And I know it's changed hands a couple of times, right? It went back and forth, and then because of inactivity, it reverted to New Line, I I think, within the past few years. Yeah, anyway, I mean, do I think the franchise needs to live on? Yes, but I think it needs to live on in in video game form, unless you're going to do a movie that blows me away. I mean, honestly, we've kind of seen Jason, right? If you want to watch Jason Voorhees kill people, You've got 12 movies where you can do that. I think if there's anything we learn, though, is that uh, <clears throat> there's this whole breed of uh, new new director and, and filmmaker and producer. And you you put this property in the right hands and they may turn 13 in, into something that's just off the charts phenomenal. I hope so. But they did already reboot the franchise. I did like the reboot, but a lot of people didn't. Did you see it? I have not. I liked it. I thought it was good. I've seen it a couple times. In fact, I own it on Blu-ray. I I dig it. And who directed that one? I cannot remember to save my life. Michael Bay produced it. Oh, shit. I mean, does it look like a a Michael Bay movie? It's pretty slick. One thing I really like about it is. Well, shit, if you're going to watch it, I don't want to tell you this, but it has like a 26 minute opening and all the characters die. And then you see the title screen and then you get the movie. Oh, fuck. Maybe I have seen this movie. I think you have. Have we not talked about this before? Well, as soon as you mentioned that, that sounded familiar. Yeah, like there's a whole group of people that gets off. That gets completely off. And then the movie starts. Yeah. I thought that was brilliant. Is Zac Efron in the movie? No. Is there some kid that looks like Zac Efron? They all look like (laughs) Zac Efron, Doug. Fair. That's fair. I, you know, as those words were coming out of my mouth, I I was regretting them. Um, Eric... 
it's this is Eric's choice. Does Eric want to close with uh, some profound comment on uh, one of his favorite movies, certainly his favorite Friday the 13th from one of his favorite franchises? Or do you want to tell us about what you've been playing? First, I'm going to close the Friday segment down with two little bits I noticed last night. One, they do a cut of the campers or the children campers, and they're reading comic books and doing shit. And then it cuts to a little girl passed out with a copy of No Exit by John Paul Sarti. <laughs> I looked I, up this play. It's a French play, and it's about three people that get trapped together in the afterlife forever. I don't know what that has to do with Friday the 13th. I'm just assuming the director had some sort of um, affinity for the play. But anyway, when I noticed that last night, and I know it's done as a joke because you're like, oh, why is she reading some adult title? <laughs> right. I mean, the, the joke plays completely, but I was I paused it. It's like, what what book is she reading there? And so that's that's what that is. So you don't have to pause it yourself. Second bit of trivia I want to bring up. At one point, uh, Megan says something about going to hyperspace. And that one of the next two words out of Tommy's mouth are bad feeling. Intentional? I don't know. I noticed that too. That's uh that would be great to know. We're we're gonna have to to dig that up. Um I, I'm surprised uh in in doing just some light research on this that there's very, very, very few references on the internet to what I refer to as the the campsters. How many fucking hamster shots? are are in this movie and why god why oh yeah i I didn't even think about that i'm not sure (laughs) i can't believe you that you can't look that up in this day and age in the day and age where the kids gravitated to the blue mats and cobra kai over anything else in the series you figured they'd gravitate towards the hamster right yeah i mean there's some i guess obvious conclusions you can draw like the they're they're caged up. They're innocent. They're helpless, and they're supposed to um, I I don't know. I guess be like a metaphor for the kids, which would make sense if they didn't have actual fucking kids in the same room as the goddamn hamsters. Yeah, no, I'm with you. And one last thing, and then I'm I'll close a little bit here. But I know you and I have talked about Nightmare Nancy, and both of us when we watched the film yesterday, and me in the past watching the film certainly thought that Nightmare Nancy was a reference to Nightmare on Elm Street. But the director has said it is a reference to his wife, who is the red-haired chick in the American Express scene. And he said, if you want to draw other conclusions, fantastic. He said, I did not name that character Nancy based on a Nightmare on Elm Street. Even though she literally had nightmares in the movie. Just like I called you out yesterday. You're like, wait, is that a reference? And I was like, Doug, she had a nightmare. I was like, how much clearer could that have been? But then I felt like an idiot last night when I watched the doc and I was, well, wait a minute. The director says it wasn't that. So don't we have to listen to him? Uh, I, I mean, I guess we, we do since he didn't intend for that to be a, a, a nod to Nightmare on Elm Street, which had come out, what, one or two years prior? Two years prior. And uh, I did not put two and two together, Eric, because I'm I'm not the uh, the horror aficionado that you are. But I did literally write in my notes as I'm watching this movie, Nightmare Nancy. And I, I can't believe that that it didn't occur to me. But I don't know. You know what? Maybe we say fuck him. Um, you know, maybe uh, he uh, enough time elapsed between. When he made that movie and when he made that comment and he just forgot or maybe I know what we go with subliminal suggestion 
He didn't know it, but he may have named her Nancy. But the fact that he gave her nightmares was uh, something that his subconscious made him do. We'll go with that. And you've you've always been the bigger Nightmare on Elm Street fan. And that's a whole nother episode of Tap In 2 about how you and I are both opposed on almost every bits of fandom. <laughs> that's why I'm also shocked that you didn't get it. But I'll close with this. When I was a kid, I was never allowed to watch R-rated movies. And this flick came out. And for whatever reason, I was obsessed with it. I hadn't, I've seen the other trailers for the Jason movies or whatever, the theater, but this one really struck a note with me. My parents were not down with me at age 11 watching this film at all. Not one bit. I come from a pretty religious upbringing, if you will. My parents are cool about stuff, but you know, watching Friday the 13th at 11, not the best. Back when I was a kid, and you kids today will never understand this, but you didn't have streaming. You could go to the video store or you could do what's called pay-per-view and you weren't even really paying per view. You were paying to watch a movie at the time they dictated to you because it was just them unlocking the channel for you to view it. I did some good shit at school. I got some good grades and my dad pulled me aside and said, look, if you want to rent Friday the 13th part six on pay-per-view, I will let you, but here's the deal. Number one, don't tell mom. Number two, Doug is not allowed to come over. (laughs) I watched this movie by myself in a dark house in El Paso, Texas. And what a perfect introduction for me into the genre of horror. I have to argue that it might've been the first horror movie I saw, maybe Little Shop of Horrors before this. But again, I wasn't allowed to see R-rated shit at 11. So this film has a special place in my heart. I think I still think it's the best Friday the 13th movie. People can argue with me all day long. Go go watch it. If if you want just to see where the character of Jason came from, go watch it. And that's what that movie means to me. But anyway, Doug, we can move on. You don't want to know what I'm playing. No. Well, I cracked out on Dark Souls for like a month. Sobriety will do that to you. And now I've gone back and I'm playing Demon Souls. I dusted off my PS3. I popped in my disc copy of Demon Souls that I never finished. It's the first game by From Software, who went on to make the Dark Souls series, arguably the most influential game series in the past generation. But I'm playing their original title, and it's really good. I can see Dark Souls all over it. I'm also playing The Crew 2 on Xbox One. And it's a lot of fun. I don't regret picking it up. Uh, something to tide me over until Forza Horizon comes out. Well, you're still ahead of me. I, I've gone backwards too. Um, also in a kind of a, I guess, demon themed game. Um, season 14 of Diablo 3 started uh, a couple of weeks ago. And uh, Connor told me he was going to play it. I mean, he's home on summer break, so he's doing a lot of gaming right now. And um, occasionally we can catch Nikki in the right window and in the, in the right mood where, where she will engage. And we all got sucked back into Diablo three again. And, and we've been uh, running our, our seasonal characters and, and having a great fucking time. It never ceases to amaze me after how rocky a start that game has, how well balanced and uh, and fine tuned and just dialed into a, a, a very specific style and it, it triggers a very specific pleasure center in in your brain. But uh, we're having a fucking blast, and um, I can't think why I haven't thought to do this before. But I'm going to throw my battle tag in the show notes for anyone who wants to like hit me up on Battle.net and 
maybe run some Diablo. I am absolutely planning on playing uh, some World of Warcraft here in the near future. I don't know that I'm going to do the new Battle of Azeroth expansion, but when uh, Vanilla, or I guess they're calling it World of Warcraft Classic, drops, you better fucking believe I'm, I'm going to fire up, uh, you know, version, I think it's 1.12 of, of Warcraft from years ago. So, um, uh, yeah, um, I, we've both been reaching back a little bit and enjoying some older content. We've both also fired up a mobile game that we maybe, well, you've been playing it, I guess, off and on over the, the past two years. I have not opened Pokemon Go up until about a month ago and uh, am enjoying that again, too. I am. And before we go into Pokemon Go, I just want to say I love hearing about you and the fam gaming together because I love gaming with your fam. I like to think that uh, that I don't know, I, I'm never going to have a, a wife and kids, kids, Doug, but if I did, I would want them to be gaming with me. And I'm glad that you guys are gaming and talking shit together. And I used to love playing Warcraft with all the fam. Granted, Connor and Colin weren't of gaming age yet. And that's why I really want a new MMO that we can all play together. I will build a new PC if I have to. If you guys tell me a game that we can all get the whole crew back together and play, I would love it. The whole crew is back on Pokemon Go. And let me tell you, down at Cottonwood Creek Park in Colorado Springs, must have been 150 people last Saturday trying to catch, um, what's his name, Squirtle. Holy shit, that's a lot of people. A lot of people out playing it. Now, I picked up the game before they announced it was going to transfer again. I re-picked it up for the fitness aspect. Sobriety equals fitness. Hatching eggs for whatever reason, dude, It's a it works with me mentally. I go out. I do a hard workout. Carl is laughing his ass off right now. But uh, a hard workout <laughs> for me. Uh, you know, do eight, nine miles walking, uh, a little run jog in the middle of that. And the game keeps me engaged in the workout while I'm listening to a podcast or listening to music. They added the aspect, though, that you can trade with your friends now. And that's what's really brought me back. You go to Pokestops, you get presents. You can't open them yourself, but you can send them to your bros and hook them up. As you hook your bros up, your friendship level increases and you can trade Pokemon with each other. In fact, Doug, I've got a bunch of Pokemon to give you next time we see each other. And we have to be like physically in the same place to do that, right? I haven't figured out that mechanic yet. I'm I'm still trying to catch back up to um, like how different the the game is now. Like they've added a a lot of new, not only uh, Pokemon, but a lot of new mechanics that uh, I haven't been able to wrap my head around quite yet. I guess I can give the listeners a couple tips if they're playing, maybe. Sure. Yeah. Uh, uh, yours truly included. Okay. So one thing, when you look at the stamps that you can get every day, you can only get one stamp a day, but you, you that doesn't mean you can't complete a quest. So get the quest completed, knock out all three of them and just knock them out every morning when you get up or when the server turns up and then knock out more so that you're always getting a stamp every single day. Okay, I didn't even know what the fuck is a stamp. Okay, so there's there's research you can do now, Doug. There's like normal research. Doug's pulling out his phone. I love it. I am. <laughs> there's normal research you can do, and there's special special research. God, you can tell I haven't drank in fucking two months. But uh, the normal research they give you tasks every day if you if you visit a Pokestop, and it's shit like catch five water Pokemon, do four perfect throws, visit twenty Pokestops, just different quests. But you can only make one of those count towards your card every day. So you want to knock out a quest a day if you're playing, ideally speaking. I mean, don't get too sucked in. Then there's other quests that the professor gives you that fucking suck. 
like shit I still haven't been able to accomplish in two months. Knock those quests out and you'll see yourself getting a lot more XP. Another recommendation I can give you guys is the pineapple berries. They look like the pineapple from Psych. There you go. <laughs> and Or they look like a pineapple. <laughs> but if you feed those to the Pokemon, you get extra candy. If you're trying to evolve a Pokemon and you need more candy, make sure when you're catching the version of that Pokemon, you feed him a pineapple berry. I cannot believe those words all came out of my mouth. You know how much I don't like Pokemon, Doug. But this game, due to the fact I can interact in the real world with it, has kind of brought me into the franchise. And as soon as they said you could transfer your Pokemon Go characters to the Switch version that's coming out, I think that's where the game completely became relevant again. It is absolutely what drew me back in. And let's give credit to Nintendo for turning two 40-somethings who have always been averse to Pokemon because it is absolutely uh, a boat that had already, I mean, we had sailed in a different direction by the time that that game launched. It is absolutely geared towards a, a different generation. We both enjoy it for different reasons. Um, but again, the, the fact that they're tying it back into um, a console that uh, I bought not one, not two, but three switches in my house because of how fun it is to play on that deck. I, I cannot wait to see what they're going to do with this game and the the fact that I can get some exercise and play it and I can trade it with my friends and we can tie it into this great new console. Like that is a, a recipe for fucking magic. I like it. And I, I think we talked about this two years ago when we started this podcast, but I'm really looking forward to, I cannot believe someone does not come out with a version of this. That's not Pokemon. That's more appealing to you and I. I tried the Jurassic Park Pokemon Go. I could not get into it. I, I thought that I was like, okay, I like dinosaurs. That's pretty cool, right? Nah, it's okay. Why isn't there a Star Wars Go? You and I would be playing the fuck out of that. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. I mean, there's so many IPs that that they could. Marvel Comics Go. DC Comics Go anything like how is blizzard not trying to figure out what to do with this mobile slash ar space because to your point earlier about you know what's going to be the next big thing that everyone is playing pokemon go is a, is a step in what i believe to be the the direction of what that next big title is and it is going to be in your hand and it's going to be interactive with the real world and it is going to to fucking change gaming and and blow our socks off it made me socialize. I pulled up to a pokey stop covered with sweat. There's a guy there from Team Yellow and a guy there from Team Blue and me on Team Red. And the three of us took down a boss together. At the end of it, we nodded to each other knowingly and said, hey, what's up? Cool. You know, and we went on our, our merry way. That's going to bring people together, man. I, I, I think it is. I know that's a sad we are the world fucking trope or whatever. I, I think it will, man. If you get gamers out in the world, we're good people normally. The ones of us that aren't 12 spouting racial references on Call of Duty. I mean, no, most of us are pretty cool. <laughs> Let me say, I, I appreciate the fact that you uh, took at least uh, one step off the wagon to in, enjoy a beer with me because it is you know, such a, a central part of our, our podcast. I, I admire uh, how much effort you've been making to um, be the responsible adults that we're both supposed to be at this point and be paying attention to our health. So thank you. Happy to have a beer with you too. I think you can be a wine critic and not drink a bunch of wine. I think you can 
Judge Beer. I, my palate's still here. I haven't lost that, I don't think. Well, way to bring us around full circle, because I think I'm finally ready to give a review on the, the Hamperer. Um, I am now one and a half in, and um, I, I got to say, it it's grown on me with, uh, with each additional sip. This is not something I'm going to continue to drink. I don't think it's even something that New Belgium is going to continue to make. I think it's like a, a limited kind of series, like an experiment. Once you kind of get past the the very overt hemp flavor, there's a, a very enjoyable IPA hiding underneath there. And uh, if if an IPA is your thing, you're going to like this. It's uh, not skunky. It is super fucking skunky because it's, you know, the skunk of hemp plus the, the skunk of hops. And um, it's got a very, I would say, targeted demographic. If <laughs> I guess if you like pot and you like IPA, you might like them together, so give it a try. My rating for this beer uh, at the end of our episode is um, not a super exciting, but solid 3.25. That's fair. It sucks we both picked an IPA and yours sucked and you love IPAs and, and mine, mine kind of ruled. You know what, Eric? That makes me very happy. I will always take the L if uh, you have found a, an IPA that you can claim is enjoyable. I figured it'd kind of be a surprise for you if I came back with not only a new beer, but an IPA and granted a fruity IPA. <laughs> I'm not drinking something hardcore over here. I really like this beer though. In fact, I might even have to raise my rating. I'm digging this. And if we only can get this this time of year, that makes it even better. The description reminds me of that vanilla cream IPA that Ballast Point made. I don't know if you remember, but we tried it the weekend of that Wayne concert and uh, it was really fucking good. And you're right. Four Noses doesn't make bad beers. I think we're starting to sound like we're on their payroll because we always give them stellar reviews. But you know what? They make stellar fucking beers. And uh, I- I'm hoping at some point someone there listens to this and finally agrees to get on the cast. We've had a couple of misfires and I think we actually had something on the schedule at one point before something happened. But uh, we're going to get Tommy from four noses to sit down with us and tell us about uh, his secret sauce someday. But not Tommy Jarvis. No, (laughs) I'm not even going to try and and pronounce his last name, mostly because I'm two beers in and I don't remember it. And on that note, Eric, do you want to take us out? Here on tap and geek out, we like to use the same recycled clothes every single week. You can follow us on Facebook. Check us out on Twitter. Of course, listen to the cast every week. We love questions from our listeners. And if you're a brewery that wants to talk to Tap In Geek Out, send us a message. We would love to talk to you. My co-host, still not allowed over at my house for Friday the 13th, Doug Lund. I am Eric G. Hollis, and we're out.